Welcome to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to talk all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer. I'm Emily Shaw, assistant editor. And I'm Sana Amanat, the editor. Um, today, I'm super excited because we're continuing our interview series uh, for our Women of Marvel podcast. Um, and today, we have very special guest, Anne Nesenti. Um, Anne Nesenti is a former Marvel editor uh, and writer. Um, she is uh, most famously wrote uh, Daredevil series, uh, creating Typhoid Mary, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, but she's like the original uh, woman of Marvel. So very, very excited uh, to have and on the show and welcome hello out there or if no one's listening hello emptiness <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, we wanted to, to have you on our show because the last few uh, weeks or last few months since we've created this podcast um, it's been very much about uh, you know celebrating women in comics and talking about their accomplishments and um, th- this podcast in particular, uh, we really want to reach out to our audience and, and, and let them know that women have been creating comics for a while and they exist and they're amazing and they're wonderful and talented. Um, you being one of them, of course. And so, uh, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got into comics, what, you're, what you were doing before Marvel, how you got that first phone call and, and, and the desire to actually want to work in comics? Um, I still have my Marvel jumpsuit. Which we all got, we all got onesies. We all got onesies back then with our names on it. You know, like a, a mechanic would have. But I can't fit into it anymore. <laughs> we also had a amazing. softball league, and we played softball. You guys still do the softball? We still have we the do. softball yeah. league. Yeah. I do not have the jumpsuits, though, and I'm no, very jealous I really about that. Jumpsuits. All red. Oh, my God. Um, so I got into comics in a very strange way. I had I was an art student and I had a portfolio full of drawings and paintings and etchings and everything and I hit New York saying I want to be an artist and I no one would hire me and I I couldn't get any work as an artist so I started looking in the Village Voice is where everyone looked for jobs back then and there was an ad in the Village Voice for editorial writing you know something and I called up um, because it didn't say what company. Mm-hmm. And I called up, and it was Dorothy, was head of personnel back then, and she said, well, I don't really want to say what we do over the phone. And I was like, well, okay, <laughs> this, this means pornography, I guess. I could write porn. I need a job. I'll write porn. You know, and of course it turned out to be Marvel Comics. But back then, people were ashamed and embarrassed to be making comics. I mean, I wasn't, and nobody but Marvel was, but the world in general was kind of like, aren't those those things that are, like, yellowing and you roll them up and stick them in the back of your pocket and leave them on a bench somewhere? They didn't have any of this kind of um, prestige that they have now. So that's how I got my job at Marvel. I came up and I met um, Jim Shooter, hired me first to be his assistant. So, um, well, back then they called us secretaries. Oh, God. I guess I'm a secretary then, by those standards. Excellent. Love it. And um, Danny O'Neill, I got to be friends with all the editors, of course, because it was really, you know, like, for one thing, there weren't that many girls, and so they were all excited, you know, whenever a girl. There was Louise Simonson. Mm -hmm. There was uh, Virginia Romita, who was the... Do you guys have a traffic manager still, or is that a job... 
Yeah, I I I think we that's technically Sue Sue Crespi. Yeah, I I know Virginia was technically ahead uh, in charge of the bullpen back then, right? Yeah. Something like that. Sue Crespi. Who's Sue that? Crespi runs our bullpen and some of our day to day operations. Is she related to Danny Crespi? Yes. Oh, yes. She is. I yeah. Love yeah. Danny Crespi. I didn't yeah. actually know that. Danny Crespi. <laughs> well, Danny Crespi had this be- big belly, and whenever I was like. I don't know, wanted to maybe put out a controversial comic, I would go rub Danny's belly for good luck. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, I think gonna, if we did I'll that with you. Sue, she would not be pleased. No. You should tell her that. Well, that's her, I believe that's her father, Danny. Is, uh, I mean, everybody loved, loved Danny Crespi. Yeah. Everybody loved Danny Crespi, and he was always, like, dropping pencils and sweating and, ups- and nervous because everything <laughs> was late. And Virginia Romita was, she was like Catwoman. I mean, she had a whip, literally. She was like the whip cracker, mm-hmm. you know, which she kept all the books on time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Sue can do that sometimes. She 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 gets mad at us. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. The tradition it's, is it's a difficult job. I, I definitely don't don't envy her. <laughs> um, okay, so first your first day, your first couple of weeks at Marvel, you're an assistant editor. What books were you working on? And like, did you have any idea what you were doing? Uh, I had no idea what I was doing, no. It was very, I mean, I started working with Jim Shooter, Mm -hmm. and so I didn't have any books at the beginning. I was just working with him, and he was obsessed with Aristotelian principles of storytelling. Mm -hmm. So working with him, his job, he got all the books to read before they went out. And so we would read the books, and, he, you know, if there wasn't a conflict, if the powers weren't established you know, correctly, or in some fun way, hopefully. Mm -hmm. You know, he would march down to the editor's office and, you know, yell at them. So I kind of learned from, I learned how to edit from Frankenstein, really. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) he was like, um, and then I met uh, Denny O'Neill, asked me to do a bizarre adventure story, and I still was pretty new to superheroes, so I was kind of like, well, what if, uh, what if it was luck? You know, what if the power was luck? So mm-hmm. I did this, and then I went on to do Longshot, whose mm-hmm. power is, is luck. So I think it was like an odd thing, because maybe as a female, I couldn't quite relate yet to the powers that were really just for clobbering. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um, that, that's an interesting thing, because I feel like a lot of women who say they got into comics, and they're like, ah, oh, I wasn't really familiar with the superhero world, and... I find that like that's sort of a tendency what I at least for me when I started working in comics was taking a step back and looking mm-hmm. at the bigger picture and sort of the concepts that you were more interested in in writing. Um, so did you find that that's something that you had to sort of teach yourself and what, what was sort of the learning process of how Yeah, to edit? I mean, yeah. now I find orchestrating fights really fun and and I think that a good fight scene not only comes up with some kind of cool bit but also you know, the rule is every page of a comic, every panel, if possible, you have to do, you have to always deepen the character, progress the story, mm-hmm. one, or the, one of the two, or number three for me is, it's just cool. Mm-hmm. You know, like, even if a scene doesn't progress, the, deepen the character, doesn't move the story forward, but it's cool, mm-hmm. then you do it. Mm-hmm. So I think that when you're doing a fight scene, you have to say, Okay, this is cool. The artist can draw the hell out of this, but you know, what is it 
how are you pushing your character? Mm -hmm. You know, how are you changing your character? And so I think that, and then I also started taking um, judo and then karate. I went all the way to become mm -hmm. a, I think I got all the way to brown belt. I mean, I started literally just fighting because I wanted to write good fight scenes. And mm -hmm. so you have to learn how to fight. You and know? it's very badass. It's badass. I mean, I was not, I mean, Marvel, I love everybody it. could kick my butt in the, in the dojo. I mean, don't like, get me wrong, you know? Yeah. But I do have some tricks that I'll teach you later about how to uh, take a man down with one hand. If, say, <laughs> you're on a date and you're walking along and holding hands, I will teach you that before I leave here today. I love it. <laughs> I end the episode with I, bonus tips. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we need some sort of like picture tutorial that we need to post on the Women of Marvel. Yeah, someone should illustrate yeah, yeah. We need this illustrated so we have <laughs> how to take a man down with one hand, which is definitely going to be the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, wait, so uh, I mean, I feel like you also just gave such great advice, and for anyone who's re who's w listening to this, who uh, first time writer, first time editor, whatever it is, um, you know really the importance of having something on every single page on every single panel and you know how to build those beats to a point where you can get to that you know the, that climax that you need or you know that a turning point um, in a scene in a story is is vital and also I mean the fact that you did real life reference is just fantastic that's not something pe we we're go these days we just google um, you know karate exactly. <laughs> I was gonna say um, you should try your have you ever tried your hand at like an iron fist or a character that does kung fu um, I don't know. I never have. No, I would actually, that would be fun because That'd I be spent fun. many, many years in dojos. So it's, there's a whole spiritual too, thing going on. It. But in terms of fight scenes, I, I remember I reached like my biggest point of frustration at one point where I was like, why does everything have to escalate into a fight? Yes, mm -hmm. it's a superhero comic. Yes, we all love big fights. Yeah. But at some point you're like, you know, especially Daredevil, it was like, Daredevil, for me, Daredevil is is my all-time favorite character mm -hmm. because he's got, he's got three, at least three contradictions. Mm -hmm. Like, if that's why I, there's pretty much always had great writing mm -hmm. on Daredevil mm -hmm. because, you know, he's, you, it, you can either take the angle that he's a lawyer and when he doesn't get justice there, he goes and gets justice there. He's, you know, it's blind justice. Justice is always blind. You know, he's blind, he wears the devil suit, maybe his mom was a nun, you know, like, yeah. it, it just keep it just keeps wham, 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 wham. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I'd be like, no, he wouldn't fight his way out of this. Mm -hmm. And so one time I was having this fight with, I think it was like Bullet, who is a character, I love the character of Bullet because... Bullet was explosive, mm -hmm. and he had a little son that was always afraid Daddy would explode. And to me, that's a kind of rage I understand. Mm -hmm. Daddy's not my daddy, but, you know, mm -hmm. big men exploding. Mm -hmm. And so they were in a fight, and I thought, why don't I have the fight break through a peace rally? Like... I have to have a fight, but why don't I just do it visually in the background so that if anybody's paying attention to the backgrounds, mm -hmm. there's a make love not war sign and there's a peace rally. It's an anti-nuke rally and he's explosive. And I thought, okay, I can get into this fight scene. So mm -hmm. I think that what you have to do is don't just have say, and then there's a fight, you know, really think about the fight and try and work something into the fight that 
essentially progresses the story or deepens your theme. That's one of the things that you can always do or stretches your character. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about, uh, you know, speaking of Daredevil, you're an editor and you picked up the writing reins and this is right after Frank Miller, right? So tell me, that wasn't your first written comic though, right? But let's talk about how you got into to sort of the writing duties. I think some of it was that I was just a chump. Mm-hmm. You know, when I look back on it, I realized that, you know, you know, Denny O'Neill was a journalist, and we had, I was, you know, also trying to be a journalist at the time, so we had a lot, we had just had a lot in common, and we could talk, and so I think he genuinely wanted me to write comics, and he was, you know, teaching me a lot. And um, Mark Grunewald, who I love, you know, wanted to kill Spider-Woman. And I don't know how I got that job, but in hindsight, I wonder if he called a bunch of writers and they all went, I'm not killing Spider-Woman. And then they're like, and then he's like, wait a minute, I could get Anne to do it, you know? (laughs) And it was sort of my first experience of killing a character. And the more you write a character, the more they become, like, your really, really good friend. Like, when you're writing a character, especially, like, Daredevil. I used to walk the streets of New York, and I used to see Daredevil on the rooftops. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, I hallucinated, but I was so close to him, and he was my protector, and he was actually, you know, he was, like... A, f- a buddy. He was in my head. So Spider Woman started to. I started to be like, you know, this Jessica D- Drew. She's cool. Yeah. You know, she's got something. But I have to kill her. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's really when I decided. You know, and Mark had all these characters that he wanted in the story. He want he uh, Daddy Longlegs and all these Gypsy. All these characters that he wanted me to use. Mm-hmm. And I learned a hell of a lot from Mark during that process. But at the same time. I wonder if I got that job because no one else would do it. I think that's how a lot of us get our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like, all right, you're fine, shy. you're paying me? All right, fine, I'll do this. Um, well, I think one last note on uh, Spider-Woman was that I, I did figure out a way to not kill her in that I put her in the astral plane. So that, you know, I think that if you kill someone, and this is like a film technique. I don't know if you, there was this movie, The Sweet Hereafter, which was about a busload of kids that died. Mm-hmm. How are you going to make that acceptable, that much death? Mm-hmm. And so the, what, the, what the director did, Adam McGoyan, was he kept turning the camera up to the sky. So there was always a sense of lift. The Thelma and Louise did the same thing. They drive off, and the car almost seems to rise. So there are kind of ways that you can soften death. You know, I to put to say something mm-hmm. really annoying and stupid. Mm-hmm. Did I just say that? You can soften death. You know. <laughs> so you got a chance to kill an awesome female superhero, and you also got a chance to create another great female superhero. So, tell us about what it was like creating Typhoid Mary. I think I was just frustrated by the females, the ways fe- women were portrayed in comics. I mean, and I was guilty of it because I was doing the same thing. I mean, I'd have a secretary and a prostitute and a, you know, bad, you know, you'd have like the virgin, the whore, the, you know, the bitch queen. The, mm-hmm. I mean, I was doing the same thing. And there are, there are similar gender tropes for the male characters, but I just thought, what if they were all the same woman? Because I'm all those things. You know what I mean? I mean, it's sort of like, I'm the good little Catholic bad girl, you know, like, so I decided, why don't I put them all in the same character, and that's when I, I said, well, what if she was this, 
multiple personality, which I think they've now decided doesn't exist. But this was so long ago. Yeah. Like a true multiple personality I don't even think exists. But back then it was like, oh, maybe, you know, like Sybil or something. Mm-hmm. So I thought, what if I just exploded all the stereotypes by put, putting them all in one person? You know, and Daredevil, there he is, poor guy, susceptible both to sort of virginal, like my nun mommy, you know, women and bad women. So it was kind of a perfect thing to have Mary Walker and Typhoid Mary and then Bloody Mary and have them all uh, sort of controlled by the persona, the fourth persona that... I ended up doing a typhoid series where I had her stick notes on the walls, mm-hmm. like all the clues from the different personalities, and she would have to figure out what they were all up to. Uh, I, your version, I mean, the, obviously your original version of Typhoid Mary is my favorite. I actually, she's one of my favorite characters, even though she's kind of crazy. So, um, <laughs> But it, it, it's true. I think you, you saying it the way that you said really enca- encapsulated for me why I really liked her is because she is all of those things. And that's something we talk about a lot right now is about sort of the way, you know, female characters are portrayed and how um, everyone is trying to make them one thing and there's so many different things and their contradictions and um, but having her uh, across from Daredevil as well was just a just a great um, just some great character moments between the two of them Um, so you wrote okay so you wrote Daredevil I mean in writing for the first time also for a comic like what was in particular when you're taking your editing brain and you're transferring it to a writing brain is it the same like what how did the process change for you well, I think I had, I mean, going back to Jim Shooter, who really who really did uh, understand story. And, you know, he basically I watched how he was torturing everyone with like, you didn't establish their powers. There's no conflict, you know, mm. et cetera. And, and we all know the third act is the hardest. You know, the third act, it's easy to start off a comic. It's easy to end a comic. Yeah. But that third act is always something that you wrestle with. And I think that I personally am obsessed with comics And a lot of creators are obsessed with this thing that you can never do a perfect comic. You know, there's always, in hindsight, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. you know. And sometimes it's scheduling. Sometimes you just have to get the next story out. Mm -hmm. And then you go back and go, it was all right there, you know. And I missed the moment. So, um, and then I had, you know, you had Larry Hama, who was always handing out Xeroxes of Alex Toth and Wally Wood and, you know, making everyone look look at the visual relationships in a room, changing up your panels, you know, so, and as a, since I was an artist, mm-hmm. you know, I had a lot of cinematic ways of looking at comics, because I was also a film person. I'm a compulsive teacher, I think, you know, like I taught film in Haiti for years, and I teach at-risk kids, and, you know, and I like mentoring. I just did this thing Dare to Draw, which was like at the Art Student League where, you know, you, I, I just like teaching. So, you know, I used to have a huge file of, of basic one sheets on what should go in a good story, what a good story needs. So I think that, and then also Louise Simonson, you know, Walt was right in the office, mm-hmm. you know, so I had Al Milgram who used to just take a sheet of vellum and throw it over a, a penciler's page and you know, say, see how this char- this 
this is a flying figure and the fact that you've chopped his foot off just makes us feel that he's weighted and you know he would go over storyboards and show how and if you just turn your camera this way or how about you look you know so I was getting huge wealth of information mm -hmm. because and I think this goes to something you said before the podcast started you pretty much had to write or draw to be an editor mm -hmm. because you have to know how hard it is to make a comic mm -hmm. and how hard it is to storyboard and you know I used to um, talk to my editors at DC like you know why don't we make all the editors all of you guys write a story mm -hmm. you know and I'll and I'll help you all do it but I think that it's a good thing to know you know to know the craft mm -hmm. for editors to know the craft the craft so we had you know we had Archie Goodwin a fabulous writer we had you know the staff was so talented oh I was just gonna, I'm I'm just curious since you came from a visual background and then you transitioned into editing and then to writing when you think of a story that you want to do what comes first in the creative process? Do you visualize what it's supposed to look like and then you fill in the words later? Do you plot it out and then think about the visuals? Just because you're in the unique position where you have such a background in all of the elements, I'm curious how it goes for you. I mean, I think a story is kind of like a little nugget that you carry around with you and you're always, like, polishing it or something. Like, um, you know, working on Clarion right now for, it, you know, the I, it's it's like the idea, it's the first time I've written a, a magical character, and so you, you start thinking, like, what's magic? What's magic? What's magic? You know, is it, you know, the Macbeth, you know, boil, boil, stir in trouble? Is it is it homeopathy? Is it getting all the right ingredients into a spell? Is it, you know, is witchcraft, we have a long history of witchcraft being you know, thought of as demonic possession and witch burning and all that stuff. So you, you just start, like, rolling things around in your head. And what I ended up thinking about obsessively was how tech is magic to me, you know, and that I am completely in love with my tech. And I also kind of hate it because I don't understand it and it's magic. So I started building this story about right really from there, like, here's Clarion, the witch boy, Here's tech wizards. Here's all the fears. Like, I think horror is, is like, horror is an in to the whole world's subconscious. It's like, you know, they're talking about now ingestibles and wearables and, in, you know, implants and all this. And it's scary to me, especially when, it, when you're talking about putting tech in your body. Nanotechnology, surgery. So I started thinking, like, from a horror perspective... And then, so you start just rolling things around, and the story comes out of that. And then you look back and say, "Oh, I really screwed up." You know, <laughs> like the hindsight thing is just horrifying. Mm -hmm. You you look at, you know, I'm on issue six now, Clary, and I look at the first issue and I go, "No, you know, why did I do that?" You know, so. Oh, yeah, I, I don't even read a comic after it's been... We get the make readies after after it's been sent to the printer, and I just can't look at it. I mean, I'm going to see, like, 15 different things yeah. we could have done differently I'm and whatever. the same exact way. Yeah, it's just like... Put it away. I mean, I like to compare it to how, you know, famous people, like, can't look at themselves after they filmed a movie, you know, mm. actors. <laughs> so that's exactly how I like to look at it. Um, so, okay... Marvel, now you you are a filmmaker, documentary film, filmmaker. You went to Haiti. You've done so much. Um, 
what are you, I mean, I know you're, you're working at DC, you have, you've got Clarion going on. What do you got planned in the future um, that you would like to tell fans? I want to write Typhoid Mary again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am 100% into that plan. No, I, uh, right now I'm working on, well, it's interesting. I had a, um, when I was in film, I wrote a screenplay in the, mm. in, that is now suddenly been optioned and I'm, I'm working on rewriting it because it, it feels a little dated to me, so I'm updating it. And then we're going to work on maybe turning it in. There's a, there's a thing, you know, maybe turning it into a graphic novel before shooting the film because it's like a natural storyboarding step. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm working on that, and I'm working on a new film. Um, and I was curious about... Um, Ms. Marvel, mm-hmm. because I mean, I love that comic, mm-hmm. and I shot two films in Pakistan, and so, you know, what's fun is just how real she's getting that family, the familial situation. In Pakistan, I got invited to a, um, I don't know what they called it, a, a purta party or a burqa party or something, where everyone would show up in their hijabs, hijabs and their burqas, and take them off yeah. because it was all women. Yeah, you know, and I was shooting a film in the deserts of Pakistan with a, with men who were like saying talking about like good friends good friends for 30 years talking about how they'd never seen their wives the other wife's face because unless you marry into a family you can't see your best friend's wife's face yeah yeah, yeah you yeah. know yeah. and mm-hmm. so this what was so great about this was you know I had been shooting in Pakistan and seeing all the hijabs and the burqas and you start to notice things the eyes the feet how the women use the eyes and the feet how much makeup what kind of jewelry pedicures manicures as ways to telegraph who they are Mm because that's the only two little slivers of skin Mm -hmm. and so these women took off their burqas and wow some of them were drop dead gorgeous and, <laughs> and dressed beautifully yeah. and you know I met the whole range of women that said you know I feel treasured I love my burqa mm-hmm. I feel treasured and you know whether or not you want to you know bring some kind of feminist you know and then others that were like you know what I can't wait to go to Florida because I'll get to get out of this. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably going down too controversial path. Uh, no, no, but I'm, I was actually talking about the hijab the other day. It looks like Judy's crying right now. She's getting emotional. <laughs> <laughs> like, trying not to cough. During the podcast, and, like, ran and got a cough drop. Uh, <laughs> no, but the, the one thing I will say about that is that everyone wants the, the hijab and the burqa to be one thing, you know, and we're kind of talking about how no. everybody wants, it's it's so related to, it's not, it's it's so many different things to so many different people it does not have to be oppressive and, you know, for a lot, I mean, it's funny because for me, I have a lot of family members who do and, you know, I've been to the Middle East and South Asia so much but I was like, if I ever had to like, just wear a burqa and hijab all day, I would never dress up, I would wear pajamas all mm-hmm. day, I would, I'm, sometimes maybe I'd shower, I have no idea, no makeup, it would be so liberating for me, um but these women do not. They really, like, underneath, they are taking care of themselves. They are stunning. Their uh, fashion sense is pretty amazing, considering. Um, so, no, it's definitely not what you expect. It's definitely, they, they sort of take everything off, and it's a whole new world. This has been a really, like, fantastic podcast. Seriously, anything. We've just learned so much. We've talked about so many different topics, some great history lessons about Marvel, and then also uh, just about your experience as an editor and a, a writer, I think, um, um, is just a great resource to have. Um, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? If there's fans who have questions, where can we find you? Well, what's odd is that I'm 
I'm a, all my journalism and film work and Facebook, I'm Annie Nocenti. But I'm Ann Nocenti in comics, which I think is maybe the dumbest pseudonym <laughs> anyone has ever, you know. But it was, it was just a natural thing. People yeah. called me Annie, but I started using Ann. So if you Google Annie Nocenti, you can get my website or, you know, go to Facebook and see. I just did the Facebook cha- art challenge this week, which nice. is post three pieces of work every day. So I, okay. du- I dug out those paintings that I couldn't get work, you know, when I first nice. came to America. Nice. Uh, well, good. So you guys can find you can find her on her Facebook and check out her artwork. Um, and read Clarion. And read Clarion, which is on sale currently okay. right yeah. now. What issue are you on? I'm getting out issue six, which is the last issue, but I think four is on the newsstand. Okay, and and who knows? Maybe you'll see Anne on a future Marvel comic Yay. once again. Homecoming. Hey, Typhoid I'll, Mary. Typhoid I'll, Mary. I'll, <laughs> dust, I'll dust off my red jumpsuit. And, <laughs> oh my God. The challenge is I'll have to fit into it. <laughs> that, that is going to be a picture in the letters column of your oh, Facebook. Wait. That's happening. I just remembered. We have to teach the ladies how to take down a man with one step. <laughs> well, that gets very physical, so. <laughs> uh, sorry. This will be just for this podcast. You'll have to imagine it. But we're going to go do it right now. Uh, I think we have to find the person we hate the most in this office. Who is it? Blake. Uh-oh. Let's look at Blake. Uh, <laughs> Blake Garris, we're coming for you. Poor uh, Blake. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much, and for being on. It's been such a pleasure. I'll just say thank you, ladies. This was super fun. This is Marvel, your universe.